Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, I'm really excited to be with you here in Resonate today. It's great to look around and uh, see many of you that I know so well and some of you that I don't yet know if we've not met. Uh, I'm Ed C., the senior pastor here at Magnolia's First, and uh, they let me come in here and preach every now and then. I'm pretty excited to be here uh, today. Uh, we're wrapping up a four-week series that we've been involved in in uh, the last month or so, and I'm glad to be able to kind of bring this uh, study to a close. But I'm really excited about the series that will begin next week. Uh, it'll be a five-week series in which five different pastors, besides myself, I, I'll not be involved in this next series, but five other pastors uh, will be preaching to you uh, about roadblocks, things that are obstacles in our spiritual journey. Uh, and it's, it's going to be a great series. Pastor Daniel will kick it off here and resonate next week. He'll, he'll talk about the, the roadblock of forgiveness, not of others. Pastor Milt will deal with that later but forgiveness of yourself, because sometimes the hardest thing to do is forgive ourselves of things that we've done uh, in our past. So Daniel will unpack that from Scripture as he kicks off the Roadblock series next week. You may not know that the greatest natural disaster in U.S. history was the hurricane of 1900 in Galveston, Texas. And if you don't know the story, on September 8th of that year, a Category 4 hurricane moved toward the Gulf Coast and onto the, the city of, of Galveston. And it, it had incredible devastation. And what is so tragic about the story is that that devastation could have been lessened if the United States Weather Bureau had been accurate in its prediction and effective in its communication. Because the, the weather forecaster people and 10,000 people. It was the greatest natural disaster in U.S. history. But as we look in Scripture, an even greater disaster for those who have either denied, rejected, or ignored the gospel of Jesus Christ, a greater disaster is yet to come. And we'll, we will see its prophecy in the scripture today. Uh, we are in the book of Second Peter. And when we come to chapter 3, we see the forecast of that great disaster. It is the biblically prophesied event of the return of Jesus Christ. And in the book of 2 Peter, we are given both a clear warning and clear instruction on how to prepare. Our series has been called Followship. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? Uh, we, we sometimes talk about being a Christian, but that means a lot of different ambiguous stuff to a lot of people. And, and so here in Magnolia's First, we talk about being a Christ follower. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ, to, to trust in him by faith and follow him with your life? And that's what this series has been about uh, from the New Testament letter of Second Peter. It gives us throughout the 
the entire letter and in the third chapter that we'll look at today, it gives us three things. It gives us encouragement, it gives us instruction, and it gives us warning. And spoiler alert, the warning part of what we will see today is scary stuff. It's scary. Uh, I mean, if you take the scripture seriously and you think if the Bible says something, it is true, and that's what we believe here at Magnolia's First, then when you read what Peter had to say all those centuries ago uh, about the return of Christ that is yet to, to happen, I mean, it, it will rattle your cage, especially if you do not yet know Jesus by faith, if you have not yet become a Christ follower. The promise in Scripture is as certainly as Jesus came the first time on that first Christmas, he will come again. And so our big idea, kind of the overall one little capsule statement theme of today's message is this. Be ready for his return. Be ready. It's coming. We don't know when. But be ready. So uh, we're going to look mainly at Second Peter chapter three. I'm going to pull in some other related scriptures that kind of will support what Peter's saying in this third chapter. Uh, but our main text is Second Peter chapter three. So let me give you just a little bit of background, especially if you hadn't been with us in our series last three weeks. Uh, the Apostle Peter, and we, if you know anything about the New Testament, uh, you know who Peter was. Uh, the Catholic Church believed that he was the first pope. We, we see that differently. Uh, but Peter was one of the, the 12. He's the one that uh, followed Jesus right to the end and then got cold feet and denied him. Uh, Peter was a, a guy who failed and yet God used. And he was one of the, the catalytic leaders of the early church right after Jesus ascended back to heaven after the resurrection. And so uh, the apostle Peter wrote some of the New Testament. Uh, he wrote the book of 1 Peter, which is a really rich book. He wrote the, the little letter that followed it called 2 Peter. When he wrote this book, he was in prison. He was in prison in Rome, and it was around A.D. 67, okay? Not 1967, A.D. 67. And he was awaiting execution, and he would, in fact, shortly after he finished this letter, be martyred for his faith. And so he knows it's his last shot. It's his last chance to give the early church, those early Christ followers, things they needed to know. And so he talked to them about what it means to be faithful to Christ. He warned them about false teachers, that there would be people teaching all kinds of crazy stuff in the first century that was contrary to to what would become biblical truth. And you know what? There still is today. There's all kinds of crazy stuff out there. There are cults out there. Uh, there are ideologies. And uh, even in our culture, people talk about being spiritual, but I'm not Christian, you know? And, and so it's just become really confusing. The same warnings still apply for today about false teachers. But he then also warns them about what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. And a lot of the teaching that you hear about the second coming 
for Christians is, is the good stuff, the happy stuff. He's going to catch us away and take us out of danger. He's going to bring us to heaven. Uh, I, I mean, for the, for the Christ follower, the second coming is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. But you don't often hear the teaching about what's going to happen to those who don't know Christ. What, what's going to happen to the world? What's going to happen to the unbelievers? And that's what Peter teaches about today. And, and I have to tell you, it's not my most fun stuff to teach. But I think you guys can handle it. And I think it's truth we all need. So I hope you'll hang with me as we make our way through Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, if you have your Bibles, follow along in our main text uh, with whatever translation I always teach here from the New Living Translation because it's accurate to the original languages and it's easy to understand. I like easy to understand. And so that's why it's my favorite translation. Uh, whatever translation you have, ESV, NLT, whatever you might have, follow along if you'd like. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. The Apostle Peter says, This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember the stuff I've taught you before, he's saying. Verse 2, I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. He's saying, I want you to know what the Old Testament has to say those prophets that were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And I want you to, to know what, what became the New Testament, what the apostles of the first century were writing in that very day. And the New Testament for us, if you're a Christ follower, the New Testament is what is to shape our thinking. It's to become our lens through which we view reality and truth. It is to conform us. It's to teach us. It's to correct us. It's to become our guide for life. If I can put it in a, in a short statement, it would be this. A godly life emerges from biblically oriented thinking. Okay, that's a little heavy, but follow me. A godly life emerges from biblically oriented thinking. Uh, the Apostle Paul understood that how we think changes everything for us. And, and so in the book of Philippians, let me just take a quick detour. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, here's how he wrapped up his letter to that early church. Philippians 4, 8, Paul said, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, follow me on this. We often talk about the heart kind of being the core of who we are. You know, my, my heart. And we, we understand what we mean by that. It's a metaphor. But in, in literal truth, the heart's just a muscle, Right? The heart is our cardiac muscle that pumps blood through our body, sustains life. What really is the core of who we are is our mind. Our mind. Our mind controls our thinking. Our mind controls our emotions. Our mind controls our wills. It's who we are 
in our essence. And that's why Paul and Peter say, listen, it's your thinking. Think about things that are true. Think about things that are honorable. Think about things that are right and pure and lovely and admirable. And here's why that's important. It's really easy in the world we live in to think about ugly stuff. Things that are happening around us, the world uh, uh, around us, the suffering that goes on every day, all, it's so easy to dwell on those things. And when we look at our world, it's not getting better and better and better. It's getting worse and worse and worse. It's so easy to kind of be discouraged about that or even depressed about that. And Peter says, don't, don't think that way. In fact, he gives us a warning. He says, if you tell people that you believe Jesus is real and that he's coming again, if you're living close to the day that he returns, you can expect to be ridiculed. You can expect to be made fun of. Back to our text, 2 Peter 3, verse 3. He said, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. That means people who make fun of you, who will ridicule you for your faith. Mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, they will say, everything has remained the same since the world was created. Now, is that true? Is it true that God has never judged the world? Do you know the story of Noah? I said in the message last week, you know, we have turned the story of Noah and the ark into this cartoon uh, uh, story for children. You know, we'll have, have picture books and maybe even paint it on their walls and, you know, Noah and the happy animals waving from the ark. But the story of Noah, if you read it in the scripture, really is a story of judgment. It's a story of Noah and his family and and the animals were saved on the ark and God destroyed all of mankind except them because of their sinful rebellion against God. That there was a worldwide cataclysmic flood. And there's a, by the way, there's a very interesting book called The Genesis Flood uh, by a, a Christian geologist who, who has some very interesting theories that explain how a worldwide cataclysmic flood like the one described in the book of Genesis could actually have formed what geologists have discovered. I mean, if you, if you really want to get into heady stuff about that, that's a, that's a great book to read. But the point that Peter's making here is people who make fun about the reality that Jesus is coming back again and say, God has never judged the world, he's not going to do it now, they forget the story of Noah. Verse 5, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Picture of creation. Verse 6, then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. Now, our belief in the story of Noah and the great flood is not based on science. It's based on our faith 
in the Word of God. And it's that same faith that says that just as God judged the world in the day of Noah, he's going to judge the world when Christ comes again. But it won't be a judgment of water. It will be a judgment of fire. Here we go. It gets heavy here. Verse 7. And by the same word, the Apostle Peter said, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when godly people will be dis- ungodly people will be destroyed. Okay, now this message of judgment, was this just something that Peter was off on a tangent? Was he the only one that talked like that? No, the Apostle Paul as well. Quick detour, watch the screen. The Apostle Paul's writing in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. See how it parallels what Peter said. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and his glorious power. That's a hard message. But that's what the apostles are saying is going to happen when Christ returns. But if you talk about that today among people who don't know the Lord, who don't believe the Bible, they'll ridicule you. Peter said, just as they did in the first century, much more in the 21st century. They think it's a fairy tale. They think it's a a, a fable. And Peter anticipates their objection that God has not judged the world in all of this time. Here's what he says, verse 8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, we, we get all wrapped up in, in time. That's what we live in. That, that's what governs our lives. But God is above time. And so he says in verse 9, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. Patient for what? He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. In other words, he's saying, God is not being slow. He's not behind schedule. He hasn't forgot about his promise. He's saying he is being patient because every person who has not yet trusted in Christ by faith and received the gift of God's grace and eternal life, he wants them to receive that gift. And so he's being patient to give them more time, to give them another opportunity. Verse 10 says that patience will someday come to an end. Look at it. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment will come as unexpectedly as a thief. What he's saying is it's, it's going to happen in much the same way that the, the hurricane of 1900 
hit Galveston. They were just going around, living their lives, thinking everything was the same as it always had been until the storm hit and everything was destroyed. And that's a picture of what the coming judgment at the return of Christ will look like. And so what does that mean for us who are living in this not yet era? Verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. What does that mean? <laughs> there is something in Scripture that says we have a part in determining when the return of Christ will happen. I want to show it to you real quickly. Matthew 24, 14. It says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. In other words, Jesus will not return until we, present-day Christ followers, take the gospel to the whole world. And when the whole world has had the opportunity to hear, he will come back. 1 John 2.28 says this, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Let me, let me tell you a story. When I was in junior high school, we, we lived right next door to the church. I mean, I was at church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And uh, I remember one particular Sunday when some of my friends were going to the movie and they wanted me to go with them. But it was Sunday night. We still had Sunday night church back then. But I really wanted to go. So I asked my grandmother, I was raised by my grandparents, if I could skip church that night and go to the movie. I mean, it's not a big sin to go to the movie, but priorities and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, in her wisdom, she said, well, you're old enough, I'm not going to tell you what you have to do, but let me give you this to think about. Don't go anywhere that you wouldn't want Jesus to return and find you there. I'd like to tell you I was a good little Christian boy and I went to church, and said, but I, I went to the movies. But the whole time I'm looking up, you know, <laughs> hoping he didn't. And not that going to the movies is a bad thing. But for me, that was more important that day than worshiping the Lord. And you know what? I've never forgotten that. Don't go anywhere, if you're serious about faith, don't go anywhere or do anything that you wouldn't want Jesus to come back, find you there doing that. It's, it's just this understanding that Jesus could come at any time. And when he comes, that's the end of this story on earth. You know what? Everything has an end. All of our bodies are alive now, but have a future expiration date out there. Uh, I lost my very best friend this week. His name is Steve Duffy, member of our church. Uh, God sent him and his wife here 30-something years ago to 
really to be our very best friends. And uh, we've played a lot of bad golf together, and uh, uh, we've had lots of good conversations and watched a lot of Astros games. Just, you know what a best friend is like, right? And I lost my best friend uh, this week. And the, the reality that hits home when that kind of thing happens is that these bodies that we live in now aren't forever. Those of you who are young, you think you're going to live forever. We're not. All of our bodies have an expiration date. Well, in the same way, not only our bodies, but this created world, the Scripture says, has an expiration date. There will come a time, if there is a God who is in control of all things, and there is, and you look at our earth and all of the pollution and all of the climate change, whatever you know is real about that, and, and all of the the stuff about the, the planet, um, you have to wonder, okay, what's the end? What's God's end game? Well, Peter tells us God has a plan for the expiration. Uh, our God who created everything will discreate it. And the old earth and the old heavens, the Bible says, will be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. I continue in verse 12. On that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. Now that's, that sounds bleak. That sounds scary. But that's not the end. It's not just a story of destruction. It's a story of new creation. Follow me. Verse 13. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Now just think about it. A world different than the world we live in, a world where there is no cancer, no pandemic, no sickness, no death, no suffering, no abuse, no crime, no danger, none of those things. He's going to replace intentionality to follow him faithfully. He says so, verse 14, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Now we hear this, that that kind of world is our future, and we think, Lord, there's so much sickness, so much suffering, so much death, so much evil in this world. Why don't you just go ahead and come? Come today. And there's a reason why he has delayed his coming. Verse 15. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Here's what I know, though I don't know all of you in this room there's somebody here, probably several somebodies, who you, you are good people, you are sweet and kind people, but you're not saved people. You've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. And you think your life is okay without Him in your heart. Can I tell you it's not? Your eternity is not secure. If, if your life were to end today... All of the goodness in your life would not be enough 
to get you into heaven. The scripture says the only thing that gets us to heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. They're just, they're just here to help you if you want to take a step toward faith. Uh, if you want to become a member of Magnolia's First, they can tell you how to do that, whatever your spiritual need might be. But I want to leave you with these three next step challenges. Here's the first. Jesus is coming, so guard your mind. If you're a Christ follower, guard your mind. It's not your cardiac muscle that makes, your, makes the difference. It's your mind. Don't allow the pollution that's around you in this world to draw you away from thinking about things that are good and godly. Guard your mind. Here's the second. Jesus is coming, so live your faith. If you're a Christ follower and you would like to be able to share your faith with those who know you but don't know him, they're not going to listen to you if you don't live it. And the good news is you don't have to be perfect. They don't expect you to be perfect, but they expect you to be real. They expect you to be consistent. They expect you to be genuine. And if you live out your faith in that imperfect but sincere way, your life will gain a hearing for the gospel. Does that make sense? There will be enough living proof in your life that when their heart is ready, they'll listen. Live your faith. Here's the last. Jesus is coming, so share the gospel. Who are you praying for that doesn't know Christ? Who are you looking to live out your faith in an authentic way in front of them so that they will be convinced that Jesus is real? Who are you looking for opportunities of conversational open doors to share what Jesus means to you and what he could mean to them? Who are you sharing the gospel with? The reality is we don't know when Jesus is coming. So be ready. Be ready for his return. Let's pray. And so I just, I just pray that you would use that truth and however you would choose to use it in the hearts of minds of people. And I pray for those of us who do know Christ that we would be more deeply committed to live faithfully for you. Lord, I too especially want to pray for our graduating seniors. I thank you for them. Just what an amazing group. And the plans that you have for them are just, they're beyond our imagination. Lord, there will be attacks on their faith as they move into the next season of their life. I pray that they would be strong in you and know that you are faithful. And that if they will look to you, you will give them wisdom, you will give them peace, you'll give them contentment and happiness and success. And I pray that for every one of them. Thank you for this time with our Resonate crowd. In your name, amen. Thanks, everybody.